0: Good morning. Good morning. Hey, y'all are here. Thank you. I don't know who said my name, but I really appreciate that. Thank you. Good on. Who said it? Gabe. Love you, brother. Appreciate you, dude. Big time. I'm glad to be here. I'm so raise your hand if you were just all sorts of tired this morning or is it just me? I am. Uh, it, it is OK. The Lord is our strength. I'm so grateful because if, if, if I didn't have the Lord, I'd, I don't know if I could roll out of bed in the morning. I'm so grateful. Uh, I think we should get rid of Daylight Savings. We should just keep it here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I just, I, listen, I just, it'd be so much easier. But uh, uh, regardless, I am, I'm glad to be tired here than tired somewhere else. I'm very grateful for this community. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mark uh, introduced our new sermon series on the parables of Jesus, Everyday Stories, Eternal Truths. Did I say that right? Yes, I did it. Um and when Jesus uses parables it 's usually uh, one central message that he 's trying to get across to his audience, uh, and Today, we are walking through the parable of the sower, also called the parable of the soils or the parable of the seeds and this parable is unique in that it is much more allegorical than most of jesus 's parables, and it, it's it 's very careful we need to be very careful when we study the parables, as Mark covered very beautifully not to over-allegorize passages. But the reason we can take this one a little bit farther is because uh, Jesus himself does that um, and gives us a very clear explanation of what everything means. And because of its more allegorical nature, the meaning and practical application of this parable are often highly debated. And when we read Scripture, especially whenever it is a more uh, debated passage, it is incredibly important for us to be aware of the context in which the passage is being preached. Scripture and this is super important. Scripture was written for us, but it was not written to us. Does that make sense? It was written for us. It's very it's very good for us now. It is it is a trustworthy guide to life all walks of life. But contextually this was not written to 21st century Levi. This was written in an ancient Near Eastern context, and we need to have that in mind as we approach Scripture with a humble heart and a desire for truth and understanding, and that in order to understand God's word, that is vital, humility and a desire to learn. Uh, as we walk through this text, we're gonna have uh, four observations on uh, the application of, On four types of soil that Jesus is going to speak about. Four types of soil. The first soil is hard soil, shallow soil, crowded soil, and receptive soil. Those are the four. Um, Hard soil, shallow soil, crowded soil, and receptive soil. And as we go on, we'll make that very clear of which, what observations are going to be. Um, It's going to be really good. Uh, The parable of the sower is actually recorded in three Gospels, Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. And this morning, I'm going to be primarily focusing on the book of Luke, uh, but we're going to see um, some references to the other passages as we walk through. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be through uh, verses 1 through 15. We'll have it on the screen behind me. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, just in general, Um, We have some back at the connect point in the back corner. If you see a Bible, just grab it and take it with you. If we're out of Bibles back there, I think we have a couple back there. If we're out of Bibles, uh, come find me afterwards. I have some stashed around the place. Uh, We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. Um, But yeah, in the book of Luke, I'm gonna read through it and y'all can follow along. Soon afterward... He, went, he being Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, In an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for another day, another day to have breath in our lungs to wake up and experience your love and to serve you, God. I pray for our time in this word, Lord. Give us open minds and open hearts to receive your word. We love you so much, and it's because you love us first. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Just as a heads up to you guys, just a little housekeeping. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit in this text. um, And I'll be pairing, instead of uh, going uh, from the start to the finish, I'm going to be pairing verses together of the the parable and then Jesus' meaning of the parable as we go through to help us have a better, fuller picture of the explanation. So just just for those of you who are like me, who like to be like one, two, three, we just go in order. We're going to go a little bit out of order this morning. All right, but we are going to start with verses one through three. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. We see Jesus traveling through cities, most likely through Galilee, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is continuing the same message through his ministry that John the Baptist preached during his ministry, as recorded in Matthew 4.17 and Mark 1.15, that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. For centuries, the people of Israel have been longing for God to come down to reign and rule on the earth, and that day is finally at hand. As Jesus is preaching this message through the cities, we see he's not traveling by himself. Along with the 12 disciples, a group of women are mentioned by name, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. And if, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, if you've read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice that he has a huge heart for the outcasts of society and records a lot of Jesus' interactions with marginalized people groups of his day, including the poor, the tax collectors, the Samaritans, and women. And uh, just as an aside, it's actually kind of, you know, we, we see Jesus interacting. That's his whole ministry. He interacts with marginalized people constantly. Um, what's cool specifically about the Samaritans? Because Samaritans are mentioned through other gospels, but when Luke talks about Samaritans, he more often than not refers to Samaritans as kind of like representing the hero of the story. It's kind of cool, just Luke's heart for the uh, for the outcast. Women were a very significant part of Jesus's ministry. Not only was a substantial portion of Jesus's ministry funded by women donors. But it's very possible that women outnumbered men in Jesus' ministry by as much as two to one, maybe even more. Some critics cite this passage we're about to read as the parable of the careless sower. Because by earthly standards, the sower seems to be wasteful with how he tosses his seed kind of willy-nilly. We're going to see the the seeds tossed indiscriminately to all types of soil, that is all types of hearts, and this is not wasteful. Look back at the women mentioned by name in the intro as a part of Jesus' ministry. You have Mary Magdalene, a woman who is identified by a miraculous healing done to her as she had seven demons cast out of her. You have Joanna, identified as the wife of Chusa, the manager of the king, Herod's household. Joanna's family comes from wealth and privilege, or I should say wealth and status, And last, Susanna, who we know very little about. As as far as I'm aware, this is the only time she's actually mentioned in any of the Gospels. Uh, But the fact that she was uh, mentioned and she's identified as one of Jesus's financial aides. Jesus surrounds himself and invites people from all over the social spectrum to participate in his ministry. Jesus is indiscriminate, When it comes to earthly categories, Jesus looks to the heart. From the demon possessed to the servant of a king, the gospel is cast to all walks of life. Super cool how Luke starts this passage. Verses 9 and 10. I told you we were going to bounce around. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but the others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. A couple weeks ago, Mark summarized three points, uh, or put into three points, the reason that Jesus taught in parables. He taught in parables, number one, to draw people in to lower their defenses, two, to graciously reveal truth to those who had ears to hear, and three, to conceal truth from those who had hard hearts. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear in verse eight. But then he reveals to the disciples in verse nine and 10 that the ability to understand, the ability to see and the ability to hear is an ability that is graciously given. Back in Luke chapter six, verses 46 to 49, Jesus talks about a man you guys might know this story, who builds his house on the rock and a man who builds his house on a ground without a sturdy foundation. And for each of these men, Jesus says that they are like people who hear his word, though one man does what he hears and one man doesn't do what he hears. Luke 6, 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus makes a point to say that many people will hear him But just because you hear Jesus does not mean you believe or follow Jesus. In order to truly hear, the ability must be given. And in this parable, we see Jesus preach on multiple types of hearts that hear God's word but react in very different ways. All right, verses 4 and 5 and verses 11 and 12. We're pairing them together. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. Verse 11 and 12. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God and the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The area of Galilee had a society and an economy that was driven by agriculture. So the example that Jesus is giving is culturally very familiar to the audience. A sower, and some of your translations might say farmer, is scattering seeds. In this parable, the seeds represent the word of God. The seeds fall on a hard road that represents those who have heard but have no roots. The birds represent the devil coming and swooping in and snatching it away, so that the people wouldn't be saved. We know this because Jesus says it point blank. Not, I'm not over allegorizing. We know this because Jesus said, "This is what this represents. This is what this represents." So, that's our first scene. The word falls to people who hear the word, but the devil comes and takes away the word, and we don't see the seed take root. Now, the devil is a sometimes a difficult topic, but that, that word the devil in the Greek is a title that means the slanderer. That's what that word means in Greek. It means the slanderer. And the slanderer is seen here actively opposing the spread of the gospel. How does he do it? It's in his name. He slanders the name of God, slanders the truth of God's word, and works hard to make sure it can't take root in the hearts of those who hear This morning, we're mostly going to be talking about uh, the soils, but I wanted to give a few quick truths about the slander, things that we know about the devil, whatever you want to call him, just real quick, because I feel like sometimes we can bat it back and forth. Just three quick ones. Number one, he's real. The devil is real. He's active through all of history, including the fall of humanity and the betrayal or fall of many characters in scripture. Jesus says himself, the devil is real. It is in the parable. This represents the devil. This is what he does. He's a real person. He's in scripture. We can read about him. So he's real, number one. Number two, he's active. Satan, which is the Hebrew word, which means, is another title. It means the adversary. Again, gosh, it's, it's this title. The adversary is anti, is against, fully against God. He's not against you just because you're you. He's against God, which means he's going after what God loves, what God created. He created his image bearers, which is you. He's going after his image bearers. By going after you, he's trying to take away what belongs to God. He hates God and hates when people follow God. Jesus says himself in this parable that the devil is active, like a a bird swooping in he's real, he's active. This is the best one. And I feel like a lot of ones, a lot of times we get it confused. Number three, the devil is not all powerful. He is not all powerful. When Jesus commands demons, they obey. I, I, when Jesus commands demons, they do what he says when the adversary wants to do anything against God's people, he has to make sure he has God's permission to do it. If you've never read the book of Job, it's a really long book with a lot of like dense poetry in it. And super, sometimes it's hard to read, but it's very cool. The first t- chapter of Job is wild. He has to ask God for permission. The, the, antithesis, the enemy of God has to ask God for permission. Everything the slanderer does is within God's plan and is ordained by God. God uses even the works of evil things to accomplish his plan. Genesis 50 verse 20 is in the story of, of, end of Genesis, at the end of the story of Joseph. It says, "'As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today.'" Even the evil, this is crazy. Even the evil in this world is beneath God, is subject to God. God rules over all things. It's not, oh my gosh, I can't believe this evil thing happened. I had no idea this was happening. God is in complete and utter control. The devil is not all powerful and does not catch God off guard. Man, I'm so grateful for that. That's just a quick little aside. If you want to talk more about uh, the evil in the world and who God is as he, he rules over all things, we can talk later. Like, let's get coffee. It'll be awesome. And because usually those conversations turn into how big God is and how powerful he is and how much he loves us, which are always the best. So if you ever want to talk about it later, come find me. All right. Observation one. In a hard heart, there is intellectual hearing, but no root. The soil on the road is a soil that is too hard for the the word to take root. And when it doesn't have roots in the ground, the slanderer swoops in and takes it away. Notice that Jesus said the road represents those who have heard. There are people in this world who know Scripture very, very, very well and do not believe. Plenty of intelligent minds who have Deep spiritual knowledge, I should say, scriptural knowledge, and still see it as just an ancient fantasy. The devil himself is brilliant, knowing scripture just about better than anybody else. You can see it. He's so good, the, the slander. He's so good at taking God's word and twisting it in such a way that slanders the name of God. The devil has seen God. Again, Job chapter 1, Genesis 3. Uh, the temptation of Christ, like the devil has seen God. Just goes to show you, no matter how much you know Jesus or should say know about Jesus, if God has not called you, you won't get it. If God has not called you, you won't get it. There are plenty of people who know oodles more about scripture than I do, way more, thousand times more intelligent than I am who do not trust and obey the Lord. Verse six and verse 13. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Matthew 13, five adds that the rocky ground didn't have as much soil and that the sun scorched it. When I say the phrase, uh, When I say the phrase, uh, if you have like a a camp high, does anybody know what that is? You don't have to shout out. Do you guys know what that is? Yeah, yes. Oh, I love. Yeah, we talked about it. Way to go, Nat. So good. Camp high. If you grew up in the church or you were a counselor or whatever, you probably recognize that phrase. It's uh, it's that it's church slang that essentially means that feeling you get right after a church retreat or a camp or 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 an awesome sermon or a conference. You've just worshiped nonstop with strangers and, you're, and, you're, and you've been so emotional and you've met totally random people and now they're your best friends and you've cried over each other and you're, you're hysterical because you've, you've sung oceans 38 times in two days and you're like, oh my gosh, I love God so much. It's amazing. And in many ways, you've confessed your faith in Christ maybe for the very first time and you're just on fire for Jesus. It's, it's contagious. Like it's, that, that's a real thing. You just feel this prompting. It's like every time, but then you go home, and after you head home, you go right back to the person you were. You aren't in this sanctuary, this kind of this special place at camp or at the conference or whatever. You're back to normal life. You walk in, and your siblings or your spouse or, your, or whoever starts bothering you. You're so tired from all the late-night emotions And you forgot to do the dishes before you left. And so your spouse or your parents or whoever is asking you to clean up right when you get home. And so you snap at them and you start bickering literally hours after you confess to your cabin that you probably should be more patient. (laughs) Maybe it's at work the next day, you have a mean coworker or a boss who just won't, just is always on you or whatever and just ticks you off. So you snap back at them Maybe you yell at someone or think of something really mean as you're in traffic. You hear the word of God, you receive it with joy, but because of the trials of life, your joy is temporary and you bail on what you've been called to do. Observation number two, in in a shallow heart, there is emotional hearing, but the roots are weak. Growing up, this was the soil that I, very much was in danger of, of being. Definitely the one I related to a lot growing up. I feel like this is like, yeah, what else is new? But I love a good tearjerker, especially with a worship song. I love just like, just belting out to God. And that, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Emotions are good. Prompting by the, by the Spirit, you just wanna sing praises out to the Lord. That's a good thing. But if you are following Jesus... This is hard to hear, but it's true. If you're following Jesus completely based on an emotional high, that faith is not going to last. It's just not. The word of the Lord is very easy to love, especially in easy times. There's a lot of great stuff in it. You wake up on a Sunday, it's a beautiful day. You're pumped to hit up 12 South for all that yummy food afterwards. Brett's rocking out with his beautiful rustic tones and you're just feeling just the worship. Levi's crushing his sermon. You wanna recommit your life to Christ. You're just, you're feeling it. Do you know how many times, I don't have an exact answer, but do you know how many times growing up I walked down the aisle at an altar call at VBS growing up? You know how many times I did that just because old rugged cross or because he lives is just blaring and I'm like, yes, and I've run down and I'm like, I've accepted Christ so many times. But in that moment, I'm just like, oh, again. Like, it, you, you, you know, just, I'm an emotional person. You just wanna sprint in the arms of Jesus. But once things start getting difficult, once the trials start to break you, a fair weather faith is gonna wither. It just will. James one chapter, or excuse me, James one verse twelve says, "Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love Him." First Peter four twelve says, "Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you." In Matthew ten twenty two and you will be hated by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If your roots are rooted in an emotional moment and not the realization of your inadequacies and in need of a savior, your roots won't last. Scripture promises trial. I don't know what it is kind of in culture that thinks that Christianity is like the easy way out. It's not, <laughs> Scripture promises trials if you follow Jesus. But Scripture also promises that if you endure, there's something waiting. Emotions are good, but if that's all your faith is based on, difficult seasons will crush you. Verse seven and 14. And some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The seed comes to soil that also hears the word, but the soil is also occupied by thorns. And as the seed grows, so do the thorns, and the thorns eventually take and destroy what has been planted. The thorns are the riches and pleasures of life. This semester uh, with uh, the fellowship students, we've been walking through the book of Exodus and it's been, it's been, yeah, right on. It's been so good. I've loved it. It's been so good. And, and we actually just, I don't think God does this by accident where you, we read stuff and then like it's very poignant to what we happen to be teaching on or whatever. God works cool like that. But in chapter 19, the first part of chapter 19, which we literally just read, as the law is about to be given to Israel, God calls Israel to be a royal priesthood and a nation that is set apart. Israel was called to be the reflection of God to the Gentile nations. And the nations would know who God is and what he was about by looking at the people of Israel. So if you wanted to know God, you looked at Israel. Oh, this is what God's about? I oh, mean, I want to know more about God. But when it came down to it, as many of you guys know, as you read scripture, Israel would often fail and succumb to their desires. They would worship other lowercase g gods, either literally or figuratively, and turn from the Lord. And this is the same with literally all of humanity, even today. Observation number three, in a crowded heart, there is distracted hearing. So the roots are choked out. It's very easy to be distracted by wonderful things. Food, drink, sports, games, friends, family are all wonderful things, really good things. If I prioritize them over Jesus, what do I care about more? There are a lot of small g gods in this world. The thorns represent the cares riches, and pleasures of life. And that word cares in the Greek is very cool. It literally is translated as the things that fracture a person or worries and anxieties, the things that occupy your mind, the things that split your attention. Being financially responsible is a good thing. The blessings of life are not bad things. But when they become things that split our attention, they choke our spiritual growth. If God is my priority, my life will reflect it. Here's one practical example for you guys. This is just on a kind of on a on a basic level. Spending time in God's word every day does not mean you're a Christian If you spend time in God's word every day, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. But if you are a Christian, you should resolve to spend time in God's word constantly. Why? Because it's God's word. It's God's word. For most of church history, this is, again, a thing that I feel like we don't often think about, but is so true. For most of church history, people didn't have their own copies of God's word and would hear God's word spoken to them or they would hear it as it was read to their community. That's why we see a lot of biblical language say, but you know, it's, it's, scripture is called to be meditated on because you would hear it and you would walk with it for however much time till the next reading and you would meditate on it. It was, it was supposed to be on our hearts, written on our hearts, on, on our tongues, like it's supposed to be constantly there. Now we all have multiple copies of God's word In our own language. In the grand scheme of history, we are so spoiled. And I am so grateful we're spoiled because we don't have to to wait for the rabbi to unroll the scroll of Isaiah and say, okay, here it is. We can literally, I can walk to my bedside table or lean over on my bedside table and pick it up and go, I have all of it with me at the same time whenever I want. And some of us have multiple versions and translations of the same thing. We are so spoiled and I'm so glad we are. If I say I love something more than anything, but the way I live doesn't reflect that, is that statement even true? Life is a gift and God has given many good gifts to his creation, but if they take precedent over God, they will choke your faith. There's no right way. I, and again, I was I was raised in a household that was like you get up at at the crack of dawn and you are in God's word because that's the only time you can do it. Just how, you know, school you know, and that was what worked best for my family growing up and that's how it worked. You, you read, you pray, you journal. That's what I do, that's what I do. There isn't a right exact way to go through it. We are called to meditate on God's word. That is what we are called to do. Scripture doesn't say you better journal. Scripture doesn't say if you don't do it before the sun's up, it doesn't count. We are called to be in God's word, to write it on our hearts, and to meditate on it all day long. It's supposed to be on the forefront of our minds. We're supposed to pursue that relationship with God. We're supposed to make that our priority. Verse 8 and 15. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast and honest in honest and good hearts and bear fruit with patience. The seed goes into the good soil and produces a hundred times as much. The good soil is hearts that take the word and hold it fast. It's a Greek word that is a combination of two different Greek words that literally means to hold down. Good soil will possess the word, will detain the word, will hold it tight and keep it and never let it go. Hold in your heart, meditate on it day and night like a tree planted by streams of water. You just hold it. But we can't just keep the word and do nothing with it. That's step one, you hold on to it but there's a next step. Observation four, in a receptive heart, hearing is given and the roots are fruitful. When we have hearts that hold fast to the word of God, fruit is something that will happen. We won't just hear the word, we will be receptive to it, be changed by it, we'll grow from it. And as we grow, others will see and hear and grow along with us, until the roots of many are deep as they also hold fast to God's word. And when I say that, sometimes, and this was the thing for me, whenever I was always like, like loving on people and just, like, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. But I wouldn't like, I wouldn't get to see. Oftentimes I wouldn't have that moment where they were like, yes, I need God. And they would cry. And then we'd get to hug and be like, oh yes. Like, oh, I did it. Like our job, We're not doing this so that we can feel good about ourselves. As someone who's, again, someone who's raised in a church, that is something that I'm still like, it feels good to see someone come to Jesus. We, again, emotional high, that's not why we do what we do. We are fruitful and sometimes we don't see those results, but God is the one that changes hearts. As I welcome the band back up here, I want to. T- I want to take all the pieces that we've we've kind of walked through and kind of squish them together. Um, oftentimes, people take the the parable of the sower and conclude, "Man, I need to, I, I need to do better. Man, I, I need to be better soil. I need to get rid of these rocks and thorns in my life so that I can be good soil. I need to, I need to do better. I need to, I need to. Man, I, I need to buckle down and and oh the reason it's because I'm I'm. It's because I find time to read God's word before bed instead of at 6 a.m. Or I, I find time to read it at, in, at, during my lunch hour instead of, instead of you know, before the sun wakes up. I, oh, I gotta do better. Like Jesus told his disciples, those who can hear have been given the ability to do so. I don't know, I don't know which soil you relate to. I relate to honestly a little bit of all of them. But as much as we want to muscle ourselves to become better soil, soil doesn't have the power to change itself. That's hard to come to terms to, especially in the world that we live in where it's like, if you just work harder, it'll be better. Soil cannot make itself better soil Soil can't decide where and when it will be planted by the, wor- the word. Soil can't just remove the rocks or, the, or the, the sun or the thorns or the lack of water so that it can produce. So soil, soil can't just decide it's going to be fruitful. I can't just like, there's not a muscle you flex where all of a sudden you're fruitful. Only the king can do that. He's the, he's the gardener. Only the king can do that. We serve a God who saves, not a God who expects us to fend for ourselves. If he was that kind of God, he wouldn't have become flesh and died for us. This is not a, I made you, and now y'all better figure it out. This is the, I made you, and I am with you. In our sin, in our sin, the Lord came to us. He wasn't like, man, that soil has a lot of rocks and thorns in it. I hope they somehow figure a way to make it to where they can be fruitful. He intervened into our lives, took on flesh for us, and died so that our hearts could be changed, so that our hearts could change and long for Him. He calls us. He's the one who can change the soil. We can't do that. The Lord wants you to hear and know the truth. That's in First Timothy chapter two. He wants you to know. He wants you to hear the truth. We can't fix ourselves. We can't make our soil any different than it is, but God can. I don't know if you are, I don't know if you're here because of the, I'm here and it just emotionally makes me feel good and I just need to have another hit on Sunday so that I can make it through the week. I don't know if, and I feel like a lot of people can relate to this because I for sure can, if you just feel like you're being choked out like no matter how hard you try, you're just being choked by whatever the thorns are in your life. Everybody's got thorns, guys. It's not helpful, legitimately. It's not helpful to pretend like they're not there. That's not the point. The point as Christians is not to say, I've got it all figured out. I got no thorns. My, my soil is so, uh, it's the best. That's not the point. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's in scripture. Bring your hearts to Jesus. And he can give you fresh and healthy and receptive soil. Only Jesus can do that. I don't care how much you know about God's word. I don't know I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how few of I don't know how little you've been a Christian. If God calls you, if God gives you soils to be receptive, you will hear. I was thinking about this this week. It blows me away. And it's so cool how God works. God was a, a, a big fan of children, and He wanted the kids to be around Him let the little children come to me, talks about childlike faith. If you are a child, if you are a student that has a heart for Jesus, you can hear more than the most intelligent humans in the world who don't have that soil. That blows me away. That's awesome. If you have the spirit of the Lord living in you, God uses you. There is no, this is not a, but my soil. He's the gardener. He makes your soil receptive. Bring your heart to Jesus, and He can make your soil receptive to His word to produce more fruit than you can possibly imagine. Would you all pray with me this morning? Lord, we love you so much. Lord, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful that we serve a God who doesn't say, figure it out. We serve a God that says, I figured it out. We serve a God that says, I love you and gives us the ability to say, I love you back. I pray that if we have hearts that are that are shallow, that are riddled with thorns, Lord, that you intervene into our hearts, God, and help us to be receptive to what your word teaches so we can follow you and honor you and love you because you deserve to be honored and loved so that we can produce more fruit than we could possibly imagine. We love you so much, God. It's because you loved us first. And it's in your son's name I pray, amen.